Guys, it's me, Josh Klein. Uh, One day contract just right around the corner, but wanted to remind you of some of the great other podcasts on the Riot Network. There is Not What You Think had a brand new episode that was fantastic this week. It Is What It Is is coming out basically every day with interviews with your favorite players. Uh, This morning's, I believe, was Robbie Anderson and Jeremy Chin. Um, You can go back and see... uh, Almost every player that has spoken thus far during training camp, um, you can hear from them. There is the brand new podcast that's newest on our uh, on our network, Quick Blitz, starring Sheena Quick and Vashti Hurt. I uh, would really encourage you all to subscribe and rate and review and help other people check that out. Um, but for now, I hope that you all enjoy One Day Contract. Throw us a five-star review while you're at it. I mean, come on. We're working hard over here. Welcome to One Day Contract, the Panthers talk show where each week we're joined by a new personality who we've signed to a one day contract to join the show. One Day Contract is a proud part of the Riot Network. Follow the Riot Network on Twitter at the Riot Network to stay up to date on all your favorite pods. Subscribe, rate, and love us on iTunes. My name is Nikki Wolf. With me as always, Josh Klein, managing editor for the Riot Report, co-host of It Is What It Is, and he's still watching that bubble basketball every night and loving it. I sure am. Um, the thing that I would like, so it's an audio medium, so you can't see, but my hair has gotten really long and my wife is a hairstylist. And somehow since uh, she has gone back to work, um, you can't, uh, I can't get my hair cut. I, she doesn't have the time. She's too busy. She doesn't want to do it once she gets home. So I literally like, I kind of look like, I feel like I look, I vacillate between um, uh, ugly Elvis or like I can go, I can go this way and I kind of look like one of the goth kids from South Park. You know what I'm talking about? Where they're like, uh, one of the emo kids from South Park, is it emo or goth where they're just kind of like, oh, so I don't even care. It's nothing, whatever. Sure. Anyway, go Blazers. Put some respect on Dame's (laughs) effing name. I'm trying to think of other people that you could be with your hair like that. Maybe uh, Todd from Wedding Crashers, the brother, ooh, the, yeah. the brother. I thought we had something. I painted you. <laughs> I want my painting back. <laughs> Equally amazing hair with us as always. Colin Hoggard, columnist and contributor for the Riot Report, was doing some afternoon hockey watching. And let's hope he didn't use up all of his yelling on the Bruins. You all right? You surviving? I'm doing well. I learned what a derecho is this week. That sounds scary and terrifying. Hope all all of our Iowa listeners are doing well. uh, What's a derecho? It's a storm, which unlike a tornado that has twisting winds, it just has straight winds. So all of Iowa is now leaning slightly left because of the winds, and it's very upsetting to the president. What this, this is true. This is as, look. Weather Brad never tells a lie on Twitter. He he, he discussed it. It was a Does storm. Dance. It was a, a devastating storm. Ne- knocked out nearly forty percent of Iowa's soybean and crop uh, and corn crops this week. Damn. I remember Weather Brad. This is twenty twenty, y'all. Twenty twenty. I remember Brad Panovich posting the wind speeds for Iowa, and I did not understand what was going on. 
So and that was the explaining. moment. Yeah, that was the moment I learned what a derecho was. It means uh, right in Spanish. It means what well, means straight in Espanol. Damn it, derecha means right. Derecho means straight, and also windy. <laughs> we'll also talk out of our backsides about football later in this podcast. It's going to happen. Well, we're just not, we're, it's not really a Duolingo type of podcast where we just teach you how to speak Espanols. We uh, will. I, I do think if you comb, the, if you kind of pull the hair forward the way it was, you kind of get like a West Side Story greaser look. You just, I think if you rolled a pack of cigarettes up in your sleeve, I think you could get a haircut real quick in the house. I think that would help take care of it. Gosh. Gosh. When you're a Josh, you're a Josh. <laughs> I feel like you should be dance battling somebody right now while you're doing that. It's a walk off. It's a it's a walk off. <laughs> We're gonna I mean, talk about the Panthers. Let's do it. Hey, uh, so people may be wondering, one day contract. You saw the um, in the title. It says Brian Curtis is our guest, and he is our guest. Uh, Colin and I had the pleasure of speaking with him uh, a few days ago, or. Whatever you're not, you're not going to hear. You you don't know. Matt, through the magic of podcasting, uh, Colin and I had the pleasure of speaking with him in about thirty minutes. And uh, Nikki will magically get a flat tire and not be able to attend. Um, and uh, if you're familiar with Brian Curtis, he hosts the Press Box podcast. He's editor at large, or editor at large for TheRinger.com. Um, just a super smart guy. And uh, if you're interested in sports media at all. And the way that sports media works and sports journalism and, and how kind of the, the way the sausage is made, how you get access to players, how you get to talk to people, um, what it's like kind of being in a locker room and whether or not you think if you enjoyed the conversation that we had with Sheena a few weeks ago about, um, you know, who's going to who's going to ultimately lose when uh, the media loses its access to the locker room and to players. Um, you will love the conversation that we had with Brian Curtis, incredibly smart guy. And uh, I, I would hope that everybody will listen to it in the future. Um, once we're done yelling at each other about Teddy Bridgewater and Matt Rule. Yeah, not a lot of Panthers talk, but certainly a lot of sports media talk. And, and, and it's an interesting landscape going forward with all the changes that 2020 has. And also one thing that we discussed with them too is, is, you know, gambling sports leagues, jumping headlong into gambling. And, and in my opinion, the idea of the fix or discussing the fix is, is, is uh, something we, don't, we no longer do in, in sports. We don't talk about those kind of things. And um, so we, we asked Brian his thoughts on that as well. So a lot of interesting stuff, but not the Panthers-focused uh, conversation we normally have. We talked a little bit of Cam Newton, Luke Keekley, Christian McCaffrey's, but for the most part it was uh, we'll, we'll focus on the Panthers for the first segment. We'll take a little break, and then when you come back, uh, it'll be me, Colin, and Brian Curtis. Um, chatting it up. Three and, white and we assume, and we assume we're all great in 30 minutes when that interview takes place. Absolutely, we're all gonna make it. Sounds like it was a lot more fun than my afternoon that day sitting at Mitsubishi. At least you got your uh, your car. Um, uh, what did you do? Inspected? Is that what it was? Yeah, free inspection. Well, they had to check my tire because my light was on, but they didn't find anything wrong. So then they inspected my car, whatever, which was due. But now my low pressured light came back on again this morning. So fingers crossed that it goes away. Dope. I'm just going to walk it off, drive it off, you know. Um, before we get to Panthers talk, though, we got to do Nikki's super important question. Um, I am going to have my first pumpkin beer of the season today. It is currently 
88 degrees right now. Colin and Josh, your thoughts on that? Well, I'm it. just I'm just glad Go that that train it, girl. in in 2020. I'm glad that if there's one train that's running on time, it's the pumpkin beer train. Like, thank goodness for 2020. You would think that there would be like some sort of a pumpkin shortage and like Starbucks is going to come out in a couple weeks and be like, hey guys, no PSLs this year. Sorry, 2020, wah, wah. But you know what? We just keep on rolling, baby. Like Limp Biscuit does, like a Smash Mouth concert. We are not canceling PSLs. Pumpkin spice lattes are here to stay. I'm going to have my pumpkins, my gorgeous. I'm going to have my crappy version. You know, like Bon and Viv is coming out with a pumpkin seltzer. Like, uh, you know that's happening. And I'm going to have all of them. I'm just embracing the dark side, the pump, the orange side this year. Orange while we don't, while we as a nation don't have a lot going on, I think it's finally time for the big pumpkin conversation. What, what kind of hold big, big pumpkin has on this country? Big gore. And in 2020, just here we come. Is, is it even August? I don't even know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't even know. Yeah, it's true. Could be October. Time is a flat circle. You know, hockey why games not? last forever. It's everything is. It doesn't matter. Panthers could be four and two right now, for all I know. Yeah, exactly. Four and two, and the four is touchdowns, and the two is field goals. That's how it works now. <laughs> instead of instead of a real score, unless you're like, what's the score? You're like four and two. What? what Eddie Bridgewater's that? throwing footballs through taxi cabs in his front yard. That's how we're determining completions now. Christian McCaffrey is just curling uh, fresh <laughs> apple pies. That's his. That's how he, Leaping how bird he, baths in the backyard. <laughs> Football's great in 2020. Absolutely. 2020. How many King books can you read in 60 minutes? <laughs> 2020, how will we ever explain any of this to future generations? <laughs> Would football be safer if we opted out of replay for 2020? I'm just throwing it out there in the, in the, for the sake of safety. Maybe we, just, maybe we just got rid of replay for a little bit, just tested it out. Didn't have those – I mean, I'm sure a lot of those operators are 60-plus. They're, the, they're in the high-risk demographic. We need to get them out of there. Tom Brady is like, hey, do you guys think it might be safer if we took some of the air out of these balls? I'm just thinking out loud. <laughs> COVID's an airborne disease. I'm just, like, just throwing it out there. Bill Belichick's like, we should set up some cameras to make sure everybody's social distancing. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. You you know what Mike Tomlin does when he catches you not social distancing. (laughs) Better than what Ben Roethlisberger does, sorry. Oh, God. Oh. Oh. Uh, No, it's probably not going to make it into the final edit. (laughs) Yes, it is. You know it. Have a pumpkin beer, edit that thing, leave it be. Cheers. Cheers, cheers. Okay, now I guess we do have to talk about football in some way, shape, or form. Let's do it. Every single player that's talked to the media so far has sung Teddy's praises as a leader. So is this just like a regular training camp thing? Or did the Panthers find their next franchise quarterback already? Um, well... I think it's probably somewhere – it doesn't have to be one or the other. Um, Yes, it does. Okay. All right. Fine. (laughs) Uh, Here's the thing. I don't think it's a training camp thing because that was one of the – that was one of the, um, like, the virtues that uh, Matt Rule talked about when they first signed him, what Joe Brady talked about, um, what every every player or coach that's ever had Teddy Bridgewater under their, like, auspice has talked about how 
great about how everybody gravitates towards Teddy. Teddy's a leader. Teddy knows how to, uh, Teddy knows how to lead. He knows how he's like, he's like a born leader and people are, people are born that way. Lady Gaga style and ready to like, they, they just have that innate quality. And it does seem that way. Even Robbie Anderson today said like, some guys are just like, when you just meet them immediately, you just want to kind of march to the beat of their drum. And that's how he felt about Teddy Bridgewater. And, you know, uh, I do wonder a little bit because obviously training camp is the same every year. Every year there's an MVP uh, who inevitably doesn't have that good of a season. Every year there is, um, you know, one guy who, man, if he can get, if everything come together for this guy, like, oh, uh, the new, you should see the new coach technique that, uh, uh, that Kyle loves. Uh, Kyle loves, I like a lot. You should see the way that they're, you know, the, the weight routine that Vernon Butler had this offseason. Like, he is lean and mean and ready for 50 sacks. And then it's like, oh, he's still the same player that he was six months ago. But I do wonder whether, um, whether at what point um, that, that talk about how Teddy Bridgewater knows how to lead and is such a fantastic leader translates onto the field. I was listening to Quick Blitz, a new podcast offering from the Riot Report here, and they brought up an interesting point about how it's almost presumptuous with Teddy, and even Teddy acting presumptuous. And, and I just got to give him, and to a lesser degree, kind of Matt Rule, a pass on this, because I don't know how, how you're supposed to be a leader in the traditional football sense in with what we've got going on I think all they can do is effectively hang some motivational posters on the wall and you know look like they've got you know the family photos and you're like look at the desk and you go all right this guy seems like he's got his stuff together I I, just to me I think they have everything's going to be fine as long before the season but when when football starts getting played we'll see you know what kind of leadership role he really has and what kind of what kind of hold he has on the team because people are going to say the right things guys have been a part of teams for a long time they're all talking about professionals here they're going to say the right things about their quarterback but until these guys get together I think there's there is still some figuring out that will have to occur uh between these guys and figuring out trust as as, as fellow teammates well it's hard to see how well people get along until something bad happens right I mean, exactly. obviously there's a lot bad happening. Pumpkin beer's coming out tomorrow. So, um, but it's like, you can, it's hard to see, like until they lose five straight, that's when, you know, that's when the team will fall apart. Like Robbie Anderson could go out there and say, you know, this is the best group of guys I've ever been around. But if they get blown out 42 to nothing in week one by the Raiders, is he still going to be saying that? That's really the question. Yeah, and what happens the first time Teddy Bridgewater throws to a receiver and there's a miscommunication mm-hmm. and it ends up in a turnover? All of this falls away instantly based on, you know, to that, to that moment. That moment is way more important than anything that's going on at this point. And, and it is unfortunate because that bond could, could be stronger, you know, but this is what everybody's going through right now. That bond could be stronger within these guys, uh, but they're really going to be tested early on and guys are going to have to buy in to have a successful season. Yeah, I mean, I, you're absolutely right. And, I, like, it's funny. We This, I think, is the first time that we've had a one-day contract podcast where we haven't spent the first 30 minutes talking about whether or not the season will happen because at this point it kind of seems like we're, ro- like we're rolling. Like, today they announced that they're going to be doing daily testing until September 5th, which seems crazy that they weren't going to do it, but they should be, and they probably will. I would imagine sometime when we get closer to September 5th, they'll extend that date. And then just like uh, how Roy Cooper keeps giving us the 
just going to be, uh, we're going to be taking off in another 30 minutes. Don't worry about it. Um, with phase two, I would imagine they'll do that with daily testing until the end of the season because you need to be able to daily test. And, um, and I will tell you this, like I have been getting, I've been getting daily testing since last Friday um, as part of the media that we're going to be attending practice next Sunday. Uh, this upcoming Sunday, I apologize, is when it's our first day kind of in the facility. And the amount of, um, when you see what they've been doing between the road to restart, uh, video that came out last week, which was terrifically well done. And the, the amount that they're doing and the amount of testing that there is. And I can tell you this, I got tested at 8am and I got a test result at 10pm. So that means in 14 hours, I was getting the test back. Now, maybe that's not the norm because sometimes it comes the next morning at 8am sometimes, but if it can come back that fast for me, a lowly dude, uh, I would imagine if you are Teddy Bridgewater, they could probably get that test faster. So, or Pat Mahomes or whoever. So I, I think that at this point, it seems like we need to stop thinking whether or not the season will happen and more about what, what's going to happen once the season starts. So I think that's why we made this conversation uh, that we made this conversational turn, but also take all of this, segment with the hashtag caveat that um one season happens i think we'll have to the nfl now is is heavily invested enough we you know the nba is obviously heavily invested enough they're playing games they're they're heavily invested enough that they're going to they're going to need positive they're going to need positive tests they're going to need outbreaks in order to cancel this season at this point like not just positive tests you're going to need outbreaks on on teams and, and yeah, and it may need to span more than one team. I mean, it, you know, there's 32 teams. If it ended up at 28 teams by the end of the year because four teams weren't responsible and couldn't handle not going out and getting some, you know, groceries or whatever in the middle of the night from the 7-Eleven, um, then there's 28 teams at the end of the year. I mean, but the, yeah. as long as they're being – as long as they're doing the testing and trying to be as responsible as they, they can be, I, I, I look at this as a fan and think, hey, this is, this is all we can really expect. I think if you're a Panthers fan listening to this, um, you should be, you should feel like they're going to be playing week one. Now, will four guys test positive for COVID and not be able to play? Yes. Uh, or maybe not yes, but probably. Um, but I also think that the way that they've structured the practice squad and the way that they've changed, when they change rules, that's when you know that things are happening. And the way they change the rules with the practice squad, that you could protect four guys, that you could bring a guy up, up to 90 minutes before kickoff. Um, They basically made the roster either 57 wide or 69 wide, however many you want, however you kind of look at the rules. And that is basically to say, how many people can we have test positive on a Friday and still have a game on Sunday? And and that's the number that they came up with. That's why they, that's why they did it. And I would encourage you go to the riotreport.com. Vincent did a terrific breakdown of what the practice squad might look like and how the Panthers could use it to their advantage um, to be successful. I, I think the fact that we don't have a single positive test on this roster with a roster that consists of only five guys that are over the age of 30 is truly impressive mm-hmm. and truly speaks to the personal accountability that we see that we out of these players. I mean, to me, I know it sounds weird. This is the best thing Matt Rule's done so far. Like well, that's if Matt all Rule you can judge them on, right? Right. Like yeah, but if he'd come in and he's like, we're going all young, we're doing all this stuff, and then they had 10 COVID cases, then it'd be like, oh, okay now. But the fact that they've got this young roster and these guys have shown incredible accountability to this point, I'm encouraged. So Robbie Anderson spoke today 
Uh, you can hear that on the It Is What It Is podcast on the Riot Network. We're plugging them all. And um, he was saying that he was asked, you know, are you going to have conversations with some of the younger guys? And he said, we've, already, we've been having those conversations the whole time. Like, this, this is our job. It's like, we're not, we're not messing around here. It's not, it's, not, it's not cool for some young guy to ruin it for all of the rest of us. And you look at, like, he was a UDFA, so he didn't get it. Obviously, you know, he's worked himself up to get this big contract. There are a, a lot of UDFAs on this team that want that same chance, and they won't get it if somebody decides that they need to go to the club or they need to go whatever. It's a Chili's or Cheesecake Factory or, or anywhere or, uh, to and, and come back and bring the disease into the building. So that they're having those conversations already. And I do wonder if that's a trickle-down effect from Matt Rule and Teddy Bridgewater or from just the veterans that are on this team already, or if that's just how it's kind of been happening across the NFL. No, no, uh, we can't say that because we've seen already MLB and NBA with their, uh, have, have incidents with, with young guys. I do think the NFL players may benefit from seeing those other guys make some mistakes first. But I, I think, I mean, the, the big hope is that everybody's taking, is everybody's taking it seriously. And it certainly seems like this organization is. And if there was ever a year where you would have thought they'd have, you know, some more, more cases pop, it would have been this year with this young roster, but they haven't. So good on them. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it speaks to the discipline of the players in this roster. And Josh, I'm sure in terms of COVID testing, the priority probably goes um, Christian McCaffrey, Teddy Bridgewater, and then the big dog, Josh Klein. That's Podcast probably the year, obviously. Yes, yes, that's obviously how sure. it goes. Above, ab- above all of the defensive players, apparently. Yes, which I, which yes. I Next time, though, please don't shove Joe Brady out of the line. Please be respectful as you cut into the line and respect the social distancing. Big he, he looks like a herb. Come on. <laughs> Teddy jumped on Twitter and interacted with a bunch of, you know, how fun Twitter is in Panthers land sometimes that, you know, blame him for Cam's release. What are you guys, what are your thoughts on that? And have you ever actually seen something like this happen on Twitter with an NFL star? Did you see, did you see that Colin? Like he kind of, he, he, first of all, he, uh, absolutely, uh, crushed one of his like fame one of the guys that's famous on twitter um for hating teddy bridgewater and loving cam i believe his name is ao freeze he's getting a lot of love on the riot network because the um vashtai and sheena were talking about him on quick blitz um she called i think sheena called it an 11 on the petty scale by calling ao little mama and then they kind of he was said happy birthday little mama and uh and they kind of like went back and forth a little bit but what, what I was impressed with, and, and just to, to kind of like, Teddy Bridgewater seems very self-aware, which I, I like. He, he seems like, like, whereas Cam Newton was who Cam Newton is, and obviously you can't talk about Teddy Bridgewater without talking about Cam Newton, specifically from a personality standpoint, and just the way that he leads this team, and the way he interacts with the fan base, it's just, it's going to come up all the time. Um, and Cam Newton was very self-confident and knew exactly who he was, but I'm not sure that he was, I don't think self-aware was the way to um, describe him. And Teddy Bridgewater seems that way where he knows what Panthers Twitter is saying about him. And he doesn't care just like Cam doesn't Cam didn't Cam doesn't. Um, But he also is not scared to poke fun at himself to come out and, and, and to interact with the fan base in that way that while Cam absolutely loved the fan base and loved to interact with them, it wasn't that, he didn't really open up that way on social media. And I wonder if that is going to endear Teddy in a different way to those, to that vocal minority that, uh, that 
dislikes him so much, if that makes sense. If you're a Panther fan and you're, and you're upset at Teddy because Cam was the quarterback before him, you're, you're bringing yep. your own baggage to the relationship. That, that's all you're doing here. Like, it, Cam's, Cam's gone. Teddy didn't have anything to do with that. And I'm excited about seeing this offense moving forward. The reality is when you're, when you're a little bit extra, the way Cam has been throughout most of his career, when you're exceptional – that's fine. But when all of a sudden you're injured and you're banged up and you're not playing as well, or you're not playing as much, you're not having the same impact, that extra wears on people. And I, I think it was time for a change here in, in Carolina. People, people want to defend Cam. That's fine. We've not seen Cam come out and be honest about his relationship in his departure with this team, in my opinion. Um, so Cam's a businessman. Cam was heading out the door. We talked about it for months on this podcast. Teddy has nothing to do with that other than playing the same position. And any desire to drag Teddy into your upset feelings about Cam's departure is counterproductive, in my opinion, if you're a Panther fan. Well, you're always going to have that segment of people. Teddy Bridgewater go out and win five Super Bowls in a row, and it's it's just not going to matter. You're not going to change people's minds. They're always going to feel that way. Well, that's fine. Those and those people that say that Cam Newton gave the Panthers an identity, I, I just, I'm just curious what role Sam Mills and Steve Smith, Julius Peppers, other people played in establishing this identity. Because there's, there's this cool perspective now to say that Panther identity is Cam, has been Cam, has only been Cam, and that is a complete and total lie. We've never had another player win the MVP the way Cam Newton did, but he was not the origin of Panther identity. And there's quarterbacks before him. There's going to be quarterbacks going forward. This is the way that football is. And I just, as a guy that likes so many of the guys that have played for this organization over the years and and, and wants to celebrate those guys, I I find it offensive when guys want to label Cam as the only thing worthwhile in Panther history. Because when the second Smitty comes up, well, then, of course, Smitty's cool too, but Cam is the only identity. Like, think- as if Smitty didn't win a triple crown years before Cam Newton showed up. I think that's just the youth of those particular fans more than anything else. You know, you look at, like, I'm sure there are Chiefs fans out there who, uh, who think that Kansas City didn't exist before Pat Mahomes came to town. Like – uh, like literally like that. I mean, they're, they're probably very young, but still like, I mean, the same thing goes for Dak Prescott fans in, in Dallas. And, you know, like the, this is how, this is how the cycle works. I was going to use green Bay and Aaron Rodgers as an example, but probably if you're a green Bay fan, you're 80 years old. Um, that's how they all are in my mind. Um, and they're just eating blocks of cheddar. Like it's cheddar. Well, like it's like off right off the rind. Um, and uh, I, I think that that is going to happen. Um, uh, what I will say is that this seems like, and this is total, I'm just conjecturing here, Teddy Bridgewater, Joe Brady, and Matt Rule seems like, seem like the triumvirate of guys who would say to themselves, okay, so the narrative is that Teddy can't throw deep, right? Let's have him throw deep a bunch in the first game. Like, let's just, Teddy, just, just get, let it out there. And because they they are that kind of, they have that kind of self-awareness. Joe Brady is that kind of, is young enough to say, oh, I want to go out and prove these guys wrong. Teddy Bridgewater is, is aware enough to say, 
I know what people are saying about me and I know that I can, so I'm going to try and disprove them. I just don't understand how you've watched the quarterback play for this organization for the last two years and you're upset about a healthy quarterback potential. It's a great point. Teddy said uh, one of the things that I, I, I really tell, I, that I loved his answer when we talked to him last week, I, two weeks ago, I don't know, whenever we talked to him, he, somebody said, you know, uh, are you 100% healthy? And he said, hey, man, since I came up with the pup list, I've never missed a practice. I've never missed a game. I've never missed a rep. He was like, I, I, I tore my ACL on my knee in the worst way possible. But since I have been back, I have been back. And so, I mean, he's not injury prone. Like, uh, he's just not. He doesn't get hurt. He got, he got hurt. And so you're absolutely right. I mean, if the guy is 100% healthy and he's running Joe Brady's offense, um, I mean, the sky's kind of the limit for this offense in my mind. I, I really do think that. I've said it multiple times. I think the offense is going to be absolutely fantastic. Special teams is going to be pretty good too. End of sentence. End, end of sentence. Well, with football things actually starting now, how do you feel? Where do you land on Matt Rule? Um, I mean, I, Colin kind of said it best. Like, the only thing you can really judge him on is how the facility has been handled from a COVID perspective. And it's like, I mean, seems pretty good. Like, I, I would, I would, I'll be more interested to see. Uh, and you know, you hear the the players talking about um, how much they like him. I'll be interested to see. Um, how it all, how it all comes together. But for right now, it's like, we're very much in the honeymoon stage. I mean, not the honeymoon stage because everyone still kind of hates him, but um, from a football standpoint, they're kind of in the honeymoon stage. They haven't even hit each other yet. So right. everybody seems very happy. I think the biggest criticism at this point is we, you see Cam and Graham Gano heading out the door shortly after your head coach says glowing things about them. And I, on one hand, I want to say I think Matt Rule's trying to do the whole say something nice on the way out the door thing to try and boost him, but it, 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 that's not the way it's really coming across. And I, I think that that's a that's and, and we're nit, you're nitpicking, but that would be the one thing that you, you wonder how that kind of stuff plays in the locker room with guys. Now, both of those guys were, you know, Gano and Cam have been here. The new guys don't have necessarily the connection to them, but. That'd be the only thing. And that's, and again, we're trying to, trying to evaluate a football coach that we haven't seen on the football field. So. Yeah. And I think that it's, um, I, to me, and I, I, I have said this multiple times, but I don't, I, I haven't been convinced otherwise. The, the things that he did regarding talking about cam right before cam was released and even talking about Graham right before Graham was released. Um, it, it strikes me more as a first time NFL head football coach who doesn't realize that when you say that kind of stuff and then he, then he gets released the next day, it looks pretty bad. Um, and, and he'll, I, it feels like he'll learn that after a while. Like very rarely did you see Ron Rivera do it. Ron Rivera did it every now and then every coach does because you just can't go out there and throw all your players under the bus. You can't say, well, Graham Gano looks great, but I mean that $3 million cap hit is going to be pretty tough to take. Joey Sly makes a lot less money, much more swole. Like that can't be your answer to how does Graham, does Graham look healthy? Like the answer has to be, yeah, I mean, I, 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 it looks great. Like uh, it's the same thing as like, you know, what, if, if you were about to break up with your girlfriend and somebody asked you a question about her, the way that she cooked dinner while she was sitting right next to you, you wouldn't be like, I mean, ultimately 
the way that she cooks dinner uh, is really just, I hate it. And it's, it's um, why we're here. Exactly. <laughs> I, I just can't, um, I, I just can't deal with it anymore. But that being said, we're still going to go home together. Like it'll be fine. Like you can't do that kind of stuff. You have, you can't be that kind of honest. And, and I think he's going to realize how you can be a little bit more coach speaky um, as that comes with time. It's just like anything else. You learn, you gotta, you gotta rep those muscles um, in order to be the, the swole coach from a, from a mind perspective. God, is, am I terrible with words or what? Like, did I just say the phrase swole coach from a mind perspective? I thought it was poetry. Thank you. That's what I was hoping for. Just digging. <laughs> it's called digging for compliments and it worked like a charm. Podcaster of the year. No That's one right. loves, no one loves you more than you. That's right, baby. <laughs> um, real quick before we get to the game, I did want to bring up when he says, we're not about the show, we're about ball, and that Teddy is all ball. Is that a little shade to Cam? Uh, I think, uh, again, this is one of those things where I think that um, if, if Matt Rule is thinking hard enough about Cam Newton that he needs to throw shade at him when talking about his new quarterback, then, then that's a problem. So I am going to assume that that is not happening. I am going to assume that, again, he doesn't realize that when you say these things about your new quarterback that are the complete opposite of what is happening uh, of who your old quarterback was, then that's a problem. Like you can't – people are going to assume things. I've heard, you've heard Matt Rule throw shade at people. He has thrown shade. He threw shade at Isaiah Simmons right after the draft when they drafted Jeremy Chin, and he was like, everybody wants to talk about how there's only one player in this draft that's very uh, versatile – but the reality is, is there are better versatile players out there in the draft that we just drafted one of them. Like that was throwing shade at a specific person. I, I think when he says, well, Teddy told me that he doesn't want music in there. I, I just don't, it, it seems insane to me that he was like, oh, I got to get this dig in a cam who I know liked having music practice. Well, it goes back to your girlfriend analogy that you just did in that scenario let's say it's it's the day after they were asked that dinner question then it turns into the ex-girlfriend now looking at an instagram post and analyzing it or you know that's what it turns you overanalyze everything and try to turn it into that perspective because that's either what you're trying to see or what you want to see so if you have a new girlfriend and you tell if you're telling your friends how much you love your new girlfriend's cooking and that's somehow throwing shade at your at your ex-girlfriend's cooking like you probably are not in that great of a relationship with your new probably in love with your old girlfriend so you probably shouldn't have broken up with her in the first place unless her shoulder is arthritic it's almost like some people work better with music and some people may not work as well with music and that it may be an individual decision that if you're trying to achieve your best that you may do what's best for you any any change they make right now is going to be viewed through this lens. And that's just the, the inevitability of it. And until we play football, this is what we're going to have. This is what we got until they play football. Yep. Probably going to have it for a while after we start playing football. So Sure. Will we, will, do you think they'll continue to give footballs away? Or is that, is that a Carolina Panther tradition now? Or do you Man, think I that's a, so. a Cam Newton tradition? I hope so. I hope it becomes a New England tradition, to be honest. I, I like To give away deflated balls? <laughs> and we're back. Um, 
No, I, I, I would imagine Cam will probably do it in New England, but I am hopeful that the Carolina Panthers will continue to do it um, in Carolina. And I hope that Teddy does the bike dance when he scores. Like, I hope, like signature celebrations are the best kind of celebrations because they can then lead to your taunt being stolen by an opponent because there was just like when, when an opposing uh, defender would sack Cam Newton and then do the Superman it was cool, man. Like that, like that, that's good for you. Like you deserve, or when, uh, when Kaepernick scored the touchdown and buttoned up the shirt, like it's infuriating as a Panthers fan, but at the same time, gotta respect it. Or like when Dwayne Wade did it and LeBron James watched on because LeBron, Dwayne Wade made the play against the Bobcats right in front of Cam. Yeah, that's right. Does exactly. It, does it? That, 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 that's what I'm talking about. That's awesome. That's so cool when another – it's like when uh, – So does Superman like, have to go away for a while now? Does, does Charlotte have to take a break from Superman, or can we still be Superman fans? We got it. Like, how does this work now? Oh, that's a great question. I don't even know. Do comic book stores – will they even be able to stock Superman stuff? Like, probably not. They've probably got to wait at least 24 months right now. Phone booths are going the way of the dodo. Like, it just can't happen. <laughs> you, you, look, you know when you break up with that girlfriend, you got to get rid of the box of stuff. You, you got to do some time away. Maybe down the line you could run into her at a bar or something, but not for, not for now. So Superman's got to go away, I think, for a little bit. It's like when The Rock would do the Stone Cold Stunner or, like, would, like, like do the double birds to, to somebody. That's awesome. You're stealing their taunts. Stealing taunts is cool. I'm in for that. I'm definitely in for someone doing old Steve Smith celebrations as an homage, maybe with some updates. Uh, I, I think that would be a fun callback too. Maybe when they play the Vikings, like if uh, if if Kirk Cousins scores and he does the he does the boat, and just to no reaction at all from anybody, I, there won't be a chance <laughs> there. But like none, but all the like he scores a touchdown, and Tahir Whitehead is like, "What is that a reference to? What's he doing? <laughs> I don't even understand. I don't. Why get is he it. sliding down the goalpost? Yeah, Derek <laughs> Brown is like, "What's happening? Like I, I don't get it." <laughs> Let's play a game. Ready for a game? Yes. Yes. This is training camp Jeopardy. So Ooh, in true fun. Jeopardy fashion, I'll give you the answer. You give me the question. So we'll call this category wide receivers for 200. The answer, Curtis Samuel. Boop, boop, boop. That is not what it sounds like when you ring in. Do it what again. It, Try again. What does it sound like? Boop. You're That's doing like a family feud. You're doing like the, the, the red plunger sound. What's the boop, boop, boop? That one, that's, that's a That's suit? timeout. That's timeout. That's no one rang in. Was that sound? That was uh, a clip. Oh. There you go. Josh. Who is uh, training camp MVP 2020? Ooh. Who is the guy I'm most hopeful the – Coaches have a plan for, but also most fearful they have no plan for. Curtis Samuel. I don't – I actually think they do have a plan for him, and that's why I think he's going to be training camp MVP two years in a row, reigning MVP, um, mostly because I think when you look at this team, he is the guy that, like, they – if they can unlock him, whether it's put him in you the You want to call him the X Factor? Mm, fun whether they can unlock whatever they got to do to get him matched up to get him or like there are just so many guys on this team that if you get them in the right matchup it's just good they're going to win every time um i can think of three right off the top of my head and probably 
a fourth one if I had to. Um, the fourth one is Ian Thomas. I'll let you decide who the first three are. And uh, I, I think that these are the guys that, that he can, if they can get him in the right matchup, if they can unlock him, if they can u- decide how to use him, um, I, I do think he can be – he can have that huge season and then be due a huge contract that they could have gotten him for cheaper for this offseason. Ooh. See, that's, that's interesting. If you think there's a plan – for him. And I'm hopeful that there is, but you know how it is. Like all the times uh-huh. with the, with these kind of weapon guys, it's easier for us as the, you know, the fans to see that than the actual implementation with these guys. If, if they have a real bona fide plan to use him, why would they not? Or uh, you just think he would not, he wouldn't, he wouldn't uh, sign a new deal at this point. Like, is oh, that you mean something right now? Like, well, I, I'm just saying, if you think right he's, now. if they think he is, I also well, we've think kind that, of talked about him being, then he has a role. It's got to be tough to sign somebody to an extension right now when you don't know what the hell is going to happen with the salary cap next year. It's also going to be tough when if you know that the salary cap is going to go down um, and people and guys are going to get cut, like you want to preserve as much room as you possibly can for somebody maybe getting cut that you really, really want, um, some sort of treasured veteran. But at it's the same time – but at the same time, if, uh, if Curtis Samuel blows up for, you know, 1,800 total yards, did you screw up by not signing him to a three-year, $10 million deal right now? Yes. <laughs> that's, that's not Jeopardy right there. That's not how it works. What is yes, you what did. Is yes. What, what is yes? Your next category, let's go to O-line. Answer for 600, Taylor Moten. Boop, boop. Uh, who Colin. is the offensive lineman whose name we say the least this year? Mm. Oh. Boop, boop. <laughs> Joshua. Who is another guy that you should have extended in t- the 2019 offseason if you think he's going to have a good season in 2020? Um, same thing that I already said for Curtis Samuel is that Taylor Moten is going to command big-time tackle money um, and has shown nothing but – versatility willing to do whatever you ask him to do even when it's uh be do something ridiculous like start at left tackle um in san francisco uh he and and he has done it all he's played right tackle well and played left tackle fine i guess um but yeah he's never gotten hurt been extremely uh reliable which is something that is valuable in an offensive lineman and he's gonna he's going to attract big time tackle money and I just don't I, – I find it hard to believe that they're going to pay him um, big-time tackle money. So I, I will be uh, – he will be the, another in the long line of, of Carolina Panthers offensive linemen that people bemoan losing. And it will be interesting to see what happens this season and beyond for Taylor Moten. Defense. Question, question mark. Defense for 1,200. Answer, Brian Burns. Boop, boop. Um, who is the player that makes the leap into stardom in 2020 on the Carolina Panthers? I was trying to figure out how I would like how that would actually be a question, but I, I think, <laughs> I think that Brian Burns um, and I'm not just even doing training camp stuff. I think that if you give him a full complement of snaps and he has learned how to go speed to power and he has taken this off season seriously, 
he is ready to make that jump because the, what we saw in the first six games before the off before the wrist and other offensive linemen and maybe his tape caught up with him a little bit that talent is like pops and it's there and and he and he looked like a guy that was like somebody you have to game plan uh I think Michael Lombardi calls him like a Tuesday player like the coaches come in on Tuesday and they're like what are we gonna do about Brian Burns that's what I think he can graduate to this year boop boop who is you don't have to buzz in i already won i already got it that's the family feud i'd like to write my answer in long form on the screen (laughs) thing do a cute design with my name um i think i think brian burns is the panther who would be the odds on favorite to get 10 sacks this year uh stephen weatherly talking about uh burns comparisons to daniel hunter i was really encouraged by that i've been a guy that's questioned Burns' size and whether or not he's going to have a place in this in this defense. Uh, but you look at the numbers and, and, and or the measurables, and Daniel Hunter and Brian Burns um, were pretty close to each other. I'm I'm hearing Weatherly talk like that. I know he's just a defensive end, but it, 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 in this world where we have no transparency, I'm choosing to be optimistic about Brian Burns at this point. Only way to fly, right? Optimistic. Right. Optimistic Airlines. And your it. last we'll get there or it won't matter. <laughs> Your last answer comes from coaches for 600. Your answer, Joe Brady. Boop, boop. Oh. Who is the new Chud? Oh, that's a quick one. He's going to be extremely valuable. We, we've talked about this offense. I think we all expect big things out of this offense. He's going to step in. He's going to go from Joe Burrow to Teddy Bridgewater in this offense. I think he's set up in a position to succeed. The defense may give up 30-plus points per game, but this offense is going to be there with him. I expect Brady to be the guy that people are worried about uh, holding on to the most after this season, perhaps even more over any player that we currently have on the roster. Ooh, I would agree with that. I do think that Joe Brady is going to be one of those guys that in this offseason is like the super hot uh, head coaching staff. I mean, like three days after he was hired, people were like, well – what are we going to do once he leaves? And it's like, all right, guys, like <laughs> maybe he like should we the hire, breaks. Like, should we fire a rule now and just move Brady into the, that's what we did with, that's what we did with Chud and Rivera. Yeah. Well, we did it with McDermott too. Didn't we do it with Rivera and McDermott? Well, maybe we that's, should have done it with McDermott, but we didn't. And being in, being in Gettleman and like, it's, I mean, that, that could, could, could being in McDermott be, have been the uh, GM and HD combo here in Carolina? Probably. I mean, they were here first. Probably, yeah. Maybe. Colin, you uh, you proposed an interesting question to me. I know I'm just skipping around this Joe Brady Jeopardy question, um, but you said like – Sorry, I got the right answer. Don't worry about it. Exactly. Uh, What is this – yeah, you called him a cannibalistic humanoid underground dweller. Um, (laughs) What's the – what does this team look like? And and this is not Jeopardy-wise, but like if if they had hired Mike McCarthy as their coach, do you think that the roster looks the same? Like, do you I, think that it looks similar? Like, tell, like, what do you think it looks like? I think Teddy Bridgewater could very well still be the quarterback. But I think the defense would be dramatically different. I don't think this defense would be nearly as young if we were bringing in a Mike McCarthy. I think you know, with him, they probably would have tried to bring in some, some more veterans, try and reshape it. I don't think this defense would look nearly the same. I think it would look, it would look more like what you would consider a – a Panther team with a professional quarterback and more established mm-hmm. veterans on defense. 
Not necessarily for the better, but that's what I think this team would look like. Well, I have a, uh, I have a Jeopard. Can I do a category? How about, um, uh, how about podcast hosts and, uh, and, and media personalities for 200? And the answer is Brian Curtis. I'll buzz in. Boop, boop. <laughs> Who is coming up next right after this break? You can check out Colin CLT on Twitter and Nikki704 and me, Josh Klein Rules, and we'll see you next week for more One Day Contract. Our contracts are up, and Brian Curtis is coming right after this. Hey, y'all. I'm Sheena Quick. Bash Ty Hurt. And we are excited to be bringing you guys our new podcast, Quick Blitz, on the Riot Network. Each week, we'll be bringing you sports from our perspective as women and also as insiders who cover the team. So be on the lookout. New episodes will drop every Wednesday, so make sure you guys find us wherever you get your podcast. And we are back. Nikki has left the building, so it's just me and, uh, and Colin CLT. We're really excited about our next guest, editor-at-large for The Ringer, co-host of the Press Box podcast, and sidling enthusiast, Brian Curtis is joining us. Brian, thanks so much for coming on the show. Can I put all that on my business card, especially the last part? Absolutely. I think your resume, like resume, like on the, uh, when it says, you know, your goals. I never yeah. putting goals at the top of a resume. Like, I'd like to have a job, I think, is the number one goal. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to get the job I am applying for currently. Can you yeah. be a sultan of Seidel? Or is, is, that, is that not an appropriate title for Seideling? Yeah, it has kind of an old-timey baseball feel to it. But, yeah, I think you can be a sultan of Seidel, sure. Probably Woj would be, would be up there among the sultans of Seidel. Well, we're, we're, we're just going to say the word Seideling until it loses all meeting. So uh, <laughs> can, you, can you tell us a little bit? One of, the, one of my favorite um, articles about sports media that I've, that I've read ever um, was your look at how uh, Seideling has kind of infiltrated the, uh, the NBA locker room and how it's changed the way that media works. And uh, so I was hoping you could explain that to our audience. Well, you're very nice to say that. It was a couple of years ago, and I'm always fascinated by the little symbols of power that go on whenever you have a media room full of journalists. Like, why is he or she more powerful than that person over there? Why do they have status that that person has over there? So I would go to a couple of NBA locker rooms and I would talk to reporters and, and just sort of bother them like I usually do. And they were, they kept referring to these side interviews. Oh, well, see, I got a side interview. So Steph Curry, you know, he talked to the reporters after the game, but I got a little bit of a side interview. And that be, was clearly the currency of NBA reporting, especially, but also the NFL. And so then I started calling people and Brian Winhorst over at ESPN says, well, you know, we call that sidling, uh, which I believe Mark Stein is the one who, took the phrase from Seinfeld and, and brought it into sports writing. I said, you know, we call that sideline. And all of a sudden, every time I'd go to a locker room like here in L.A. with the Lakers, Ramona Shelbourne would be sidling with somebody. Or Chris Haynes, I would hear, would be sidling with somebody or sidling with LeBron. And it was like, oh, my gosh, now I totally understand. If you're a big deal sports writer, you've made it when the star of the team will sidle with you. That's it. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. It's a huge. It's it's something that it took me a couple of years in the in a locker room to to even realize that it was a thing that you could do. That you you know the first when you first get in there, you kind of think to yourself, okay, you gather, you wait for Luke Keekley to come out of his locker, he stands in front of the hamper, 
25 reporters stand around in front of him in a little semicircle. And then uh, we talk to him for six minutes and then everybody walks away. And then I would notice that some of the more established reporters in Charlotte, you know, your, your Joe Person, Scott Fowler, Jordan Rodrigue, were, were, they would just kind of hang back from the scrum and wouldn't even participate. And then as it kind of people started to wander away, the, the TV reporters, they would kind of inch forward. And then all of a sudden it's just, just one-on-one with, with the stars. And you do, it, it is something that you notice that, that that's the best stories come out of those conversations. For sure. Right. And it's like, I don't want that stuff that all 20 of you got. I want mm-hmm. stuff that's just for me, even if I can't really directly use it in the column since so much yeah. of it is off the record. Right. But I want my little piece. That's, that's sideline. One thing I think is that's interesting is, is this the de-evolution of sports media? Cause we're going to go forward here in just a minute and talk about team media, but I look at it, it went from guys were on planes, guys would eat dinner, hang in bars, to now you have to try and find and negotiate. Maybe it's this back way that they leave the arena to try and get these, you know, five minutes. And I think you look at it and where we are now, and it seems like media is going away even more right now, that this has been kind of the, the people trying to make the best of a, of a bad situation. And now we're getting to a point where we may not even have that option. That's absolutely what it is, right? It used to be call. I want to. I want to do a feature on Roger Staubach. You call the Cowboys. They go, "Oh, great! Here's his home number." Mm-hmm. Now we're we're saying, uh, "Do you mind if I walk you to your car?" And in this minute and a half, I can ask you like one or two questions. I can't quote you on the record, but I can at least like get you to give me ninety seconds of enlightenment on this. Absolutely. I mean that that's sort of what we're down to. And yes, you're right. You see, you know, the sort of top people making the best of a really bad and worsening situation because i know when i started out as a young radio guy we we you had like the legal pad of hall of famers and their phone numbers and and journalists from around like everybody had this power like any of us could have picked up the phone and called henry aaron not advised but you could have done it <laughs> right. and now it's like Hey, just let me tag him on Twitter and, and hope he notices or yeah. something. It's, it's completely different. Yeah, info at uh, hammerandhang.com and <laughs> yeah. uh, hope for the best. <laughs> well, it's interesting that I think that nowadays, so just like what you said, you don't want that story that everybody else has. But right now in today, in 2020 especially, that's the only thing to get. is If, if you can't get a one-on-one, it's, it's a lot harder to get um, – to get DJ Moore or Christian McCaffrey to call you on the phone than to walk up to him in the locker room. It's easier to ignore somebody via text or via on the phone than it is in the locker room when you have to walk up to him and be like, Christian, do you have a minute? That's the code for I, I would like to interview you. Uh, it's easier to ignore you when I just text him, hey, do you have a minute? He's not going to answer. And Absolutely. Why would he, right? I mean, totally. So it, it's, it's hard, I, I, and I don't know the answer to how you move forward from a media perspective. Do you have, an, do you have like a, a thought on how people can move forward? Because that's basically what The Athletic is built on, right, is getting those extra interviews, and, and I'm not sure where they come from right now. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's funny because I think we've, in, during the coronavirus, right, everything has gone from, I'm going to pester you in the locker room. You don't have to talk to me. Maybe you don't want to talk to me, but at least I get the right to pester you at your locker we've moved from that to a Zoom call, which is really similar to moving from the locker to the podium. Now just basically everything is a podium. Mm-hmm. You're, you're sealed off. Everyone gets to ask the same questions. There's no privacy. 
you're probably not going to probably ask very much sensitive in that kind of setting or something that you need to get the guy alone to do. Um, so no, and I, and I don't know how we're going to move on from that because I mean, you know what I was thinking the other day is how terrible would it be to be starting on a beat in 2020 Oof. where you don't know people, you don't have any numbers, <laughs> you're coming in fresh and you're like, Oh wow. I get to meet all the people I'm going to cover on a zoom call. <laughs> I'm a box to them rather than a living person sitting there with a notepad and a recorder. And it's tough. It's tough. And one, one thing, I think it was Paul Koharski who covers the Titans wrote this right at the beginning of the coronavirus when they shut down the locker rooms. He said, I've never known in my career for a team to give more media access. Like that's never happened. And he outlined all these things that the Titans had taken little bits and little bits and little bits away. So what we're asking is that, somehow these teams after all this is over, if this is ever over, are going to say, okay, we're going to go back to what we had. We're going to even go to something better. Chances are they're not right. Or they're going to resist it with every fiber of their being. And that's sort of where I think we're going. And, and I think both players and teams will resist, but I think ultimately the people that are going to pay the price will be the players because all of a sudden when they don't have that platform of their team and they don't have those personal relationships, like even when we talk about, you know, the, the side link, that's about a personal relationship oftentimes mm -hmm. that, that now, as you mentioned, doesn't have a chance to form. Do you think the team and, and even more importantly, the players really understand and appreciate the value of the media as a, as a way to connect to their fans? Most of them don't. I don't think so. I think they see it as an annoyance. You know, they see it as something they have to do after a game or, you know, a couple of times a week. And, and that's fine, right? I think if I were a player and I was good at my job, I would probably say, oh, man, now I got to talk to these guys again. And, then, you know, and, and these guys are going to write things that are going to annoy me or that I don't agree with. They understand less about football than I do. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I totally sympathize. But I also agree with what you said, which is at the end of the day, they're better off, if they're, unless they're just an absolutely terrible human being, they're better off with fans knowing about them, right? and understanding them and understanding what they're going through and, you know, and having a fuller picture of their personality. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that that helps for it. it it's, it's funny because once, once you get from that rookie first rookie contract, the guy, the guys in their rookie deals first few years of their career, they're always kind of willing to talk to you because maybe they're, they're not as jaded or they're not um, they're They're not quite, they haven't had the, whether it's quotes that they feel like were taken out of context or, the bad columns written about them. Um, they haven't had that happen yet. But then as they get to this upper echelon where the fans want to read more about them, that's when they kind of shut down and say, well, now I don't want to talk um, as much. I, I think we saw it in Carolina with Cam Newton. Cam Newton was much more media friendly um, for the first few years of his career. And then you saw, you could see a physical change in him right after 2015, after, after the uh, Super Bowl press conference but that was so poorly received, he, he turned inwards and, and didn't want to talk to the media at all. Yeah, and, it, and then every interaction becomes highly brokered, right? Mm -hmm. uh, Cam Newton will talk to GQ, but gonna go through his agent or his publicist and not through somebody walking up to Cam Newton at his locker or, or seeing him in the, you know, somewhere in the Panthers facility. And then that spins us off into a whole new weird corner of sports journalism and maybe there's some air quotes around that right once we get into that brokered journalism kind of place 
Uh, yeah, I mean, you look at like a perfect example is is uh, the Ringer had a fantastic Cam Newton audio documentary, um, which was terrific, and I think he was in it for two and a half minutes because he just doesn't like to speak to the media. And I, I think that's part of the thing. You hear Ty, uh, Tyler Tyne said it specifically. He said once he told Cam what he was doing, he he saw a physical shift in his demeanor, and you could tell. When Cam gets around the media, he he got a he gets a little bit antsy, and uh, I, I think that is something that is uh, new in uh, not super new, but in the last five or six years, it's really come to the forefront with the biggest stars just not wanting to talk. Yeah, well, and there's also you know they 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 now have more media than ever, right? I mean, this is the other thing, you know, in the news in the newspaper era. There was only so much that was going to be said and written about you. And they had lots of mm-hmm. press requests. It's not like there wasn't a lot of media there. But now I just just imagine being an athlete, right, where people are just tweeting about you all the time. Like somebody's tweeting about Cam Newton today. Cam Newton didn't do anything today, right? But people just tweet. If Cam Newton searched his name, there'd be a billion things about Cam Newton and the pat, the Pats and all this stuff. So it's also, I think, for somebody like him, and I don't know if, I don't know him particularly, so I don't I can't speak to that, but a player of his stature, it's like, what, what do I, what do you want me to do at this point? Right. <laughs> you know, am I, I going to talk again? You know, yeah. am I going to do more? And so I do sympathize a little bit though. Of course I'd rather them, you know, talk to us. Yeah. yeah. You, you mentioned sports jur- journalism and in quotes with like uh, these highly brokered pieces and, and they are, they've been, they've become really, uh, you can almost tell once you, once you've seen them, you can be like, Oh, so uh, like, it's eight questions about the upcoming season. And then here are two questions about your uh, partnership with uh, Gatorade that are, you know, tell us about why Gatorade is the best way to quench your thirst. It's got the electrolytes, obviously it's what plants crave. Um, and it's, it is, it's just, it's so interesting how different it has journalism has become or sports media. Not that I have been doing it for that long to even speak about it, but it's just this, this evolution um, it's just interesting. Yeah. I don't want to slam the glossies too, because GQ often does very good sports pieces, but there is mm-hmm. that there's the players tribune piece, right. That just sort of, you know, I'm not, instead of telling a columnist this, I'm going to go write it myself, write it myself in the players tribune or the, my favorite is the interview about fashion. <laughs> the athlete is like, I'm going to answer five or six questions about fashion that will get me on the cover of the magazine or get me the big pop I need. Mm-hmm. And I won't actually have to talk about anything that makes me even vaguely uncomfortable. Yeah. Yep. You guys talked briefly about the CAM press conference, and I think it's important that we see that. I think the emotion of sport is part of why we all show up here. It's part, mm-hmm. of, part of the package. So I think it's good to see that. But as we talk about the evolution of media and going to more of team media, we're going to get – it seems like instead of getting, you know, back to the day and age of guys being on the plane and, you know, having that personal relationship, it's this disconnected version where we're only talking about the things that – the brand wants to talk about. And so it's, it's, it's the next evolution. I don't think is necessarily a better one um, looking forward with the, the team focused media. Can't be the uh, couple of things on that one. That cam press conference is a fascinating document. And that is to me, one of those things I completely agree with what you said. You watch that press conference, the, the actual answers in transcript form were not revealing, but cams face and demeanor was incredibly revealing, right? That is, that is what you want. That is the face of somebody who just, whose team just got their butts kicked in the Super Bowl. And mm-hmm. you're like, oh, wow. You know, this is, this is striking. But I always feel that the media often, a lot of sports writers anyway, come down too hard. And they say, oh, he was so, you know, he was so bad in that press conference. What did you want? Did you want the cliches? 
Or did you want how Cam Newton really feels? I want how he really feels in that sense. And I'll always, even if, you know, I'd rather him answer the questions, I'd rather him talk specifically about the game. But to me, it's about reality, right? It's not about, you know, some false front or something like that. And, and I'd rather see him react that way than deliver, quote unquote, acceptable answers, showing nothing, robotically getting through it, and then going back into the locker room and kicking trash can and acting like a petulant yeah. child. I'd rather us have the learning moment where, we, where everybody can, can learn from it. You know, it, it, and there is a line because you, you mentioned like the, the, the fairness. Like you look back to, if you go back to like Chris Weber and like the 93, you know, national championship game, the famous timeout. They follow him, an amateur athlete, out of the tunnel, like down the tunnel at the end of the game. And it's like, that is a little bit far. But Cam having to do a press conference after the Super Bowl seems fair. Like, we, you know, there's, there, is a, there is a middle ground here that I think we should be able to achieve. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I, I agree. I think you want, to see the, you want to see the lows just the same way that you want to see the highs. You know, if, if when you want to if – you're a, if you're a fan of a player, a fan of a team, you want to see Cam – you want to see your quarterback be sad. And, like, in my mind, I, I, when I watched that press conference, I was like, good. That's how he should feel. He should be sad and upset and, and frustrated. And yeah. – yeah, and I think it's I think it's us. It's on us to just interpret it and understand what we're watching correctly. My my examples. I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan. Tony Romo has his big loss to the Eagles one time, and he says that's not going to be the worst thing that ever happened in my life. You know, this is just this crushing killer loss, and everybody jumps on him and is oh how you can't say that you can't say that. I'm like you know what that quote is revelatory about who Tony Romo is and what kind of quarterback he is. It doesn't have anything to do with ability. It's like Tony Romo's brain is built differently than Tom Brady's brain and Peyton Manning's brain and all kinds of guys' brains. That's it right there. You just have to understand what you're seeing. You're seeing, right? Don't get mad at him. Understand that that's Tony Romo. And to me, sometimes we get something revelatory like that and we're expecting something else or we're wishing for something else and we just don't know how to process it. But isn't getting mad at getting mad at players is a lot of what, uh, like j- journalism is like, like, <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, like only if you want right. to be on, you know, one of the major networks, you know, at prime time or during the, you know, the daytime hours only so, then <laughs> it's a bit sure. Yeah. And it's, it's, uh, it's taken a lot of people quite far in this business. <laughs> yeah, I, absolutely. Um, it's, it's one of those things where you, so uh, I wanted to touch on what Colin talked about with, with, uh, in, in-house media. Um, you, you mentioned a little bit, you have a great article, which I would recommend everyone to read about the, um, kind of the, the conquest of covering what it's like to cover Russell Westbrook and Kevin Durant when they were with Oklahoma city and the, and Westbrook had this one, one-sided feud with a, uh, with a writer for, was it the Oklahoman? I assume. Yeah, Barry, Barry Trammell. That's right. Yeah. Great name for a paper, by the way, just top. There you go. I like that one. Um, and, and just like. And one of the things he talked about was when they would have five or six reporters standing around, the first two questions would always come from the team media and they were softballs. And I think that in this day and age, between the combination of in-house media and uh, players' own social media, they, they can get that message out themselves. And so they may not need, they don't need journalists to do it themselves or to, to do it and they don't want that. And I think that might be part of the reason why there is that wedge between players and media uh, nowadays. 
it certainly it certainly changed the dynamics of it. I mean, part of it's just time, right? Let's say that you know Luke Keekley is going to take ten questions, and Panthers.com gets two of them. Well, we just cut twenty percent of the questions for the unaffiliated reporters. That's one big mm-hmm. thing. The second is this kind of weird eighty-five percent. Uh, that I think a lot of those team reporters can get. Because if you talk to a lot of them, they say, well, I'm not in the bag. I'm covering this, I'm covering this team, you know, completely, completely fairly. But then you're like, okay, what did you write about Jerry Richards? Can we can we go look at that and see everything you wrote about that? Okay. Search that even a, for the unaffiliated medium uh sure, right? right yeah. But that's like that's a that's a huge story. And if you weren't just full metal jacket on that story, then you weren't really covering your beat the right way, right? But they can get this 85% where it looks like, you know, and a lot of it, right, they can be good on transactions. They can be good on day-to-day stuff. What did he say to his locker? How they feel about the win? How they feel about the loss? I think a lot of that is is fairly interchangeable sometimes. But I'll tell you what happens is my, you know, like my uncles are huge Cowboy fans. One of them is a season ticket holder. When they send me stories, they send them to me from DallasCowboys.com as much as they send them to me from the newspaper. Mm-hmm. They don't make a differentiation between those things. Well, actually, they do because one's free and one has has a subscription. <laughs> so you know what you know what they're reading? They're reading the free thing. They're not they're going to pay for the other thing. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you know, really, I think in readers' minds, they're okay sometimes with eighty five percent, and that's something the rest of us have to confront, right? And it's it's not an easy conversation to have. We can say, okay, one is journalism without seatbelts. The other is journalism. There's a lot of journalism, but then there's some places you can't go. But what if a lot of readers really don't care about the difference? What do we do? It's a great question. I'm not sure I have a great answer for it. No, it's, you're absolutely right. I think we don't have a great answer for it. And it, and it is, it's, it's interesting seeing what people like to read and what they don't. Obviously, either really good news or really bad news. That's what they like to read. Uh, but like, yeah. you see, um, a lot of people, I think, dislike their beat writers, um, especially the ones that have been around for a long time, because they do end up breaking bad news or telling mm-hmm. you that, you know, hey. Um, you don't get to blame the kicker all the time. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> uh, your, 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 your favorite player is not, a good, is not a great person. Sorry, here's, here's why. Let me tell you. And, and it's tough, but I, I'm not sure that we are going to, just like with more access in the locker room, I'm not sure that we're going to come back from it. I think we're going to go further the other way into, you know, for whatever's free, whatever's short, whatever I can digest easily, that's going to become the most popular. And it's going to drive out um, the, the hard workers. I mean, the athletic, they laid off 8%. Is that right? Of their writers? Uh, yeah, something ago? like that. Yeah. And I think it's, I, I think it has a lot to do with obviously the coronavirus, but you know, it is what it is. Like if you're, if you're a Hornets fan and Colin and I are both Hornets fans, we're two of eight. Um, and you know, to read, to like go out of your way to read about this team, that's just not going to be, that's not good. And to pay for that. Right. It's tough, but you know, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, it's hard to wrap your mind around and make that decision uh, and how we can come back from that. And absolutely. I mean, my, my, you know, the knee jerk answer is, well, we got to be good. We got to justify, you know, our readers coming up for mm-hmm. us. But then we talk about the conversation we just had about all these restraints in the locker room and all this, all these restraints to, you know, getting to talk to players or getting information. You say, well, how can we differentiate ourselves if even physically being in the locker room in the before times 
we couldn't really add all that much, you know, so it just becomes this, this really, really terrible quandary. I'm curious, you know, we look back at, at sports and columnists have, have dictated kind of discussions. The AP poll dictates the discussion in college football, you know, throughout most of the season. When you look at, at the narratives that exist around sports in, in, in this day and age, where do you think they're coming from? Like, who is the, who's the, the driving forces behind what we're served as sports fans? Uh, good question. I think especially so at this very moment. Ah, there we go. The first, first one of the pod. No, the, um, a lot of good questions here. The, uh, good, you know what good question usually means? Like, I got to think about that. For give me a second. It means give me a second. <laughs> I always find when I'm interviewing people and they say good question, it's usually not my best question. So anyway, no, no, no offense. <laughs> a couple of things. I think right now it's coming from the players, right? Especially you look in the NBA bubble. What has been a better driver of quote unquote content than an NBA player making a video, right? Or mm-hmm. on a completely different level, post-game interview. Uh, hey, LeBron, you know, how'd you guys beat the Clippers? Well, I'd like to talk about social justice first. So I'm going to take the conversation this way, right? And I'm, go- I'm going to be the one essentially telling the sports media, this is what I think is important to talk about today. So let's talk about this. And then maybe I'll answer a couple of questions about the game after I've had my, my say on this. Uh, so that's one. I think agents are another one. I mean, we'd be blind to say that agents are not driving the conversation, especially at that high-flying insider level that exists mm-hmm. across all sports. Certainly journalists, too. You know, I wouldn't say that we've, we've disappeared from the conversation, but it's probably more of a mix now, isn't it, between all those things where it was fairly journalist-dominated a couple of, couple of decades ago. Yeah, I, I think it has a lot to do with their own, you know, you can drive, if you're a player, you can drive it yourself. You can drive your own bus. You know, if you want, you just like, just like you said, I think that the idea of what did you think about the game tonight? And your answer is, well, let me tell you about, uh, let me tell you about social justice instead is now uh, celebrated that, that kind of response versus, you know, the cookie cutter. Well, we got to play defense. We got to do, you know, um, and just so you, you know, that the Popovich exchange that it was a, was the last week where he was asked about Marco Bellinelli. And then he went and talked about, you know, the racial history for four paragraphs and then said, and also Bellinelli's not going to play. And it was like, <laughs> what a girl, what a great answer. Fantastic. Right. I'd, and I'd much rather hear that answer. Than, you know, yeah. Than I understand the beat writers got to get that too, but yeah. Uh, and it's fascinating. It's, it's interesting to talk about, I, I would be interested to get your take on that agent-driven storyline, because I think a lot of folks don't understand how much information for, for journalists comes from that side of it, um, not necessarily inside of the building of, of the team that you're covering. It can be from that player side when you're finding out uh, information and how that kind of information gets brokered. Yeah, through, through agents. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's... It's interesting, right? Because you you have this sort of class of journalists who may not know players all that well, right? Like in the old days, power was achieved through knowing the GM, knowing the owner maybe, and and knowing the players in the locker room, getting your information that way. And then we found this sort of side entrance where it's like, well, what if I just know all the agents and I can get information really, really quickly and efficiently from them? Now, what it turns out to be, though, that information turns out to be what? Transactions, uh, injuries. Mm -hmm. Uh, maybe some unhappiness with management that certainly would get transmitted to. Now it's probably like a positive coronavirus test, as right. we've seen in the NFL. That would probably be transmitted through there. But it's information that's very 
I don't know if limited is the right word, but it's a very specific kind of information mm -hmm. because likely, you know, the, the, the chances are, is even if you have a great relationship with the agent, are they really going to understand the dynamic in the locker room, you know, at that granular level? Probably not, you know, at least outside of their, their players point of view of it. Yeah. It's kind of things that can be confirmed. Right. So I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to talk to you about, you know, Hey, can you tell me if your client is going to get cut? Just, just was got released and I can break it five minutes tweetable before anybody else of information. Exactly. Sure. Tweetable pieces of information. That's a great way to put it. Um, but it, it's interesting. It, I, I, I have noticed that uh, whenever you see uh, one of these big time insiders say something like, you know, the, the Panthers released cornerback Kevon Seymour, who they really liked that little, who they really liked seems to me to always be a little bit like, Hey, like, <laughs> In case you're hey, reading Bengals. this, other team's GM. Yeah. Hey, Bengals and uh, Chiefs. Yeah. You know, they hated to lose this guy. Yeah. The, uh, the Twitter endorsement is, you know, it's a step down from the letter of recommendation. It really is. <laughs> you're right. Or the, yeah, they, they, the, the bit on the resume we were talking about. Yeah, absolutely. You guys cover a lot of, like, media kind of, I don't want to say uh, idiocy or buffoonery, but silliness on, uh, on the press that. pod. Um, what has been the biggest change that you guys have seen or you have seen in, uh, in media since sports basically, like, turned off? Um, and do you think those are good changes, bad changes? Uh, losing jobs. Uh, <laughs> that seems bad. Uh, hell on earth, I think, is that's probably the biggest change. Just in the day-to-day -day of it, it's funny because I, you know, I don't know, this is another thing. And we talked about this in the pot a lot, David and I, but it's like, it's one of those things that I think this is another weird, I don't know if irony is the right word, but just a weird quandary we're in is like, if you're a really good beat writer and really skilled and a lot of people, you know, people are, you know, and I would say this about announcers too, you can get a lot of what you would have gotten in the locker room or let, let's just say this, your work product will not be that different to readers at least at the outset, right? At some point that's going to time out, but at least at the outset, your work product is going to look a lot like it would if you were in the locker room, mm -hmm. just by doing Zoom calls, by texting, by just, you know, sort of transmitting information and being smart, right? And putting things together. Um, so I think a lot of the stuff like at the outset of the NBA season or the outset of, you know, the NFL kind of now we're, you know, climbing into the sort of training camp period or whatever that's going to look like. Sports writing day to day is not going to look all that different at the outset. Now, after weeks and months of this, I think you will accumulate that. But that's also weird for us, right? Wait, we've been banned from the locker room and our work product doesn't look absolutely different? It doesn't? So why were we getting on all those planes again? Why were we, why did we have to go to every away game, right? This is our boss asking this question. Hey, why, did, why are we sending you to that? I said this about announcers too, watching these guys do remote, watching uh, Joe Buck and John Smoltz do remote baseball games. Hey, that sounds pretty good. Mm -hmm. You know, it's kind of weird with no fans, but, but they're, they sound great. So then it's like some TV executive going, well, why are we sending them to Atlanta next week? Why are we sending them to Milwaukee the week after that? Those are all fascinating questions to me. And we got not, not, uh, not great questions, by the way. Do you, <laughs> do you think those are good? Like you're, you're absolutely right. I agree with you. I think that you can, you know, I think a lot of, just like what we said, a lot of people that are reading things, they say to themselves, this story about Dante Jackson feels the same to me as the one that I would have read last year when you were in the locker room, maybe having even a one-on-one -on -one conversation with him. If I'm a, if I'm a, if I'm reading it, I'm not necessarily saying, well, 
this is the same quote that somebody else has. Like they're only reading one story, so they're they're kind of done with it anyway. So do you think like how are we going to go back? I mean, if you're if you're a boss, does it make sense to to send these guys? Like I know we want to we want to say yes, but yeah, and there's does it make sense and do we have the money? Right. Does, is, you know, is this going to leave us in a hole because we haven't had ads like we're used to for five months? Uh, maybe we'll get to 12 months by the end, however long this thing, this thing takes. Like, mm -hmm. do we have the money to do that? And, and we need to make cuts somewhere. So, and look, and look, none of all this stuff in sports writing we're talking about, this is all already happening. This is not, this is the coronavirus didn't cause this. We want looked around at NBA beat writers around the country and baseball beat writers. A lot of them weren't going to road trips, you know, and a lot of them weren't going to every road trip. Maybe they go to a big one, but it's like, oh, that's West Coast. Going to skip that. And by the way, that, that applies to the athletic too, places like that, mm -hmm. you know, that have a lot, that did have a lot of money. They weren't going on every road trip. And now, so I just think the pandemic is going to take those trends and just sort of send them in a hyperdrive. One of the things that I think you see with the journalists, sports journalists, is you'll see like the, the COVID cover tweet, like just so you know, this is the way I feel about COVID, but I'm going to be over here trying to just do my job and not deal with people responding and saying, hey, don't you realize COVID's going on, you know, to the, to the guy that's just trying to write about the press conference or whatever. Um, but we, do, we see this oftentimes where sports becomes kind of ground zero for these larger national discussions. I think COVID and, and, and is, a, is another great example. But oftentimes we have sports guys that end up playing the bad discussion is it do you think that sports is so often the arena that people feel confident and they're addressing these larger issues in and they're playing the bad this is the sports writer playing the bad guy because they're daring to to ruin sports by breaking all this stuff up or no no, no. i just like you know we right now if like you look at covid we've got college football coaches that can play the bad guy you know college conferences it's it's the sports conferences or the sports entity will or, you know kind of in the in the role of bad guy rather than saying you know, the public education system. Yeah. Or the, the, the politician or the health commissioner, right? Right. That kind of thing. Yeah. yeah include no. Domestic violence. I mean, you know, Ray Rice, obviously locally here, we had Greg Hardy, you know, and that became a big discussion where people, you know, were, were misinformed in a lot of situations. And it really hit, I mean, it, it, this was a promising young guy that it had a lot of charisma. A lot of people liked him. And then his careers basically ended. And, and in any other time, it probably wouldn't have played out that way. I think in the COVID example, I mean, part of it is just it, conf it, it sort of conflicts with how much we want sports to come back, right? So we're very, very sensitive. Look, we're, there's been a lot of bad news in the world for the last five months. But then, you, then it starts, oh, wait, we might not have a college football season. Oh, wait, the NFL might be endangered. And then so we, you know, we get mad at Rob Manfred and we get mad at Roger Goodell and we get mad at the conference commissioners and, and Mark Emmert and all these people. And I think yeah, that's just a very natural, I think almost all of it you can explain by just a, how much people love sports and how much they desperately want sports to happen in some form, however that is. And, and then sort of two is like having had so much bad news, they're extra sensitive to the idea that something, they would lose some other part of American life, even temporarily. Yeah. Well, I, I actually mean it from the from the other perspective, from the media perspective, I mean, where it really takes off. I, I'll use the NBA in China example. I mean, NBA you know, has real pain, real contracts go away, and then the NBA becomes, and Daryl Morey in, in some cases becomes the bad guy on the national stage when the, the, the bigger media, so to speak, discusses it. When he becomes, yeah. I mean, I think it's, well, one, it's just a, it, look, it's a way of taking – 
in the, in the NBA China case, it's a way of taking a very complicated, difficult issue and putting a face on it, whether it's Daryl Morey's or Adam Silver's, whoever face is getting put on it, that is very popular, right? It's, it's hard to get people's attention on those kinds of issues. Now, look, it's the National Basketball Association. It's the basketball players you love that are somehow enmeshed in this controversy. That, that is a much, I think part of it's just like, that's a way to get people to pay attention to those kind of things. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that, that sports echoes life, right? That's how, that's how everybody always wants to talk, say it is sports and life are they're, they're cyclical and, and similar and the same. Um, I, I would be curious to get just your gut reaction. Do you think the NFL plays 16 games? I, I don't know that I have a coronavirus crystal ball because I don't think I've predicted anything correctly over the last five months. So I have no idea. It is very hard to process the idea that the NFL would not happen, you know, at mm-hmm. all, certainly at all, but even, even, in, even that the whole season wouldn't happen. I mean, I have all the parts of American life that wouldn't happen. That just seems m- truly mind-blowing, but I guess we'll see. Yeah. I think it will depend on where kind of our COVID acceptance is. At, at, at the time. I mean, I, we don't know how this is going to play. You know, we don't know how it's going to play out. And I think we're going to have to make make some tough choices um, going forward here. One one more question I want to ask you about um, sports and gambling, um, because they've been intertwined, um, you know, from their origins, but they've always existed as separate entities. But now we're entering into a, a time where we have league sponsored gaming, league sponsored um, gambling. We've seen baseball had the Astros situation, which is another century-old tradition of sign stealing rear its ugly head. Yep. Um, with league-sponsored wagering ready to to blow up, are you concerned that this will have negative consequences? Yeah, though I think I think it's sort of like I would probably take it pretty widely. Right there's the hey, could somehow you know a sports the sports game the integrity of the game be threatened? You know, in a kind of black sock scandal kind of way. But then there's also just, I think, facing the, the sort of consequences of legalized gambling. And I'm not necessarily against it, right? But like we've seen, I, was, I spent some time in Australia a couple of years ago where they have legalized sports wagering there and have had it for quite a long time. And there's a lot of, you know, like you open the op-ed page and there's just a lot of things about like, look, this, is, this has a downside to society, you know, just like casinos and lotteries and things like that, right? And there's, or at least there are difficult issues we need to think about. And I don't get a sense you know, partly because it's a state-by-state state way that it's been phased in, but I don't get a sense that we've really had, you know, a terribly robust national discussion about that. You know, just what does it mean that we can all just spend money all the time, you know, gambling on sports? And again, I'm not necessarily against it, but I don't feel that we've actually sort of pulled that apart enough, maybe. So yeah, I guess that, I guess that would be my concern as much as anything, as much as like, hey, a game is fixed or somehow, you know, a player decides to strike out on purpose because he owes a bunch of money or something like that. Yeah, yeah I, I don't think it would be, like you said, like it's, it's somebody's in too deep with, a, with the wrong crowd necessarily. But like we've all sat there and watched a game and been like, I'm not saying this game is fixed, but if they were going to fix sure the game, weird. Yeah. this would be the way they might do it. Mm-hmm. And yet, at a time when sports and gambling are coming together, that conversation seems almost taboo. Yeah, well, I, I don't know if it is taboo, though. Do you think it's really a taboo conversation? Or, or is it just because people assume you're wearing a, a tinfoil hat so you don't want to go down the... I think, I think it's probably less taboo than it ever has been, right? You know, I think in the old days, like, oh, come on, you know, it's pretty fringy to talk about that kind of stuff. But now I think, you know, you do a tape breakdown and all this stuff and We've read articles about Tim Donaghy and all this stuff, right? It's like, mm-hmm. you're kind of like, oh, okay. At least I'm, I don't know if I believe it, but at least I'm willing to hear this 
<laughs> I'm willing to hear your theory. Right. And especially because the greatest, I, in my opinion, the greatest sportsman this country's ever produced, Muhammad Ali, definitely engaged in some of, you know, some of these, not, not gambling, but like the, the, the buildup and the shenanigans and stuff like that. So I, to me, it's like this, there is a show element to all of this that I think that with all this, this new age gambling and the different ways you can, you know, get your money in, it's not going to be a guy going 0 for 12 in the fourth quarter. It's going to be a team scoring 34 in the third or something yeah. like that. It's just funny though how it, it it sort of runs into this era where we can access any game at any time. It's not a scratchy VHS, you know, copy of the game, right? We can just watch it. So if anything, if there's just anything that even see, even seemingly what you're talking about, right? It's not even necessarily a fix, but it's something that looks suspicious. How many eyeballs are going to be on that, right? Mm-hmm. How is Bill Barnwell not going to notice that before the rest of us do? You know, just instantly go, what is going on here? This is weird, right? Yeah. I would just think there's so many. I mean, all those all those guys who are looking at all 22 every week, you know, uh, maybe present company included, or aren't you just going to be like, this is strange that this keeps happening? <laughs> <You know? laughs> there's just so many more eyes on sports now in a dedicated and intelligent way than there's ever been. Do you feel like the the advent of that that kind of – intelligence across uh across the internet basically where where people can come from where maybe not trained journalists but people can come up and and be all 22 people and film breakdown and be uh, you know have that kind of football knowledge do you think that is is leveling the playing field and do you think that's good bad indifferent I like all 22 people. I had not heard that term. That's a, you know, put, put yeah. that in, put, put that in your Twitter bio, everyone. I'm an all 22 <laughs> person. Um, I mean, certainly it's certainly useful. I know when I like, when I like, you know, follow the Cowboys, I follow guys who are all 22 people mm-hmm. because it's interesting to me. And it is, you're right. It is something of a leveler, but you know, as I've, I've talked to people who've been in that business and by the way, we could add draft guru to that sort of general mm-hmm. class too, because the qualification, just like the qualification for quote unquote professional sports writers turns out to be just watch a lot of sports and learn about it. Right. Like there's not, it's not, this is yeah. not some special science. And if you're want to be a film person and you, you can watch a lot of film and you get to be a film person. I think and you I'm could sure. argue, I think you could argue that recently updated is actually the only uh, thing you need for your mock draft to get looked at. That's all. It just needs to be <laughs> recently updated because you're putting in the time. 3.0, yeah. 4.0, yeah, 4.1. That's just when you like tweet when there was a trade. There was a trade. There was a trade. Yeah, yeah. It's on the old days or Microsoft. You know, just like we're not. It's not a totally new operating system. We just got a few fixes here. The um, yeah, but I don't. You know, I like that. To me, I don't. You know, I don't know how we. I don't know how we pay for everything, but uh, and give give every all twenty two person the right job. But I like having it. Patreons, baby. Yeah. Everybody has a Patreon. Five bucks a month. Yeah. Right, yeah. Well, you, you work for The Ringer and they, you, know, you guys do a lot of different things trying to tell stories in different ways. What are the new kind of storytelling methods that you're excited about um, as we talk about the you know, dire times that people find themselves in? <laughs> a little light. <laughs> Where's your end? grapes of wrath coming from? Oh, is what my I'm looking gosh. For. Well, I don't know if it's the grapes of wrath, but, um, <laughs> you know, I think, you know, you mentioned uh, Tyler Tynes' podcast about Cam Newton. I think things like that, you know, exploring ways. I think, I think in a way, uh, narrative podcasts are not like a particularly new technology, but it's also been something that is just, I think we're just as a society, it's just getting started, you know, in terms of how many, how to tell those stories. It's interesting too, because I've seen, we still haven't quite turned over where like people that are, that are magazine people, long form people have 
you know, a lot of them have not jumped into that pool. And I think that will be really, really interesting, right? When a, when a Wright Thompson and those kind of people are like, I'm going to, I'm going to start making long form podcasts. That's going to be, that's my job, right? I, I want to do that. Um, that's going to be really interesting. I think that's something that's been great. And, you know, I'm, I'm a person who thinks that like all the old forms or quote unquote old forms are just still interesting and they have infinite variety, right? It's like, I don't feel like, you know, I don't feel like I'm worried if I'm writing a column, you know, as, as I was yesterday or a feature, I don't feel like I'm like, Oh, well, there's nothing to do here. <laughs> you know? it's, like, it's always new and there's always new stuff to do. Awesome. Um, Brian Curtis, thank you so much for joining us. Where can people find your work? Is there anything that you're working on right now? Uh, follow you on Twitter. I know you're an all 22 person. So um, all 22 profile. See my film breakdowns at, uh, at Brian <laughs> Curtis. Uh, what, what do I do? It was a press box podcast. You mentioned, uh, with David Shoemaker, you find that finding me on the ringer. I just did a piece on a, uh, the cornhole color analyst on ESPN, whose name is uh, Trey Ryder and who is, let me, let me assure you the Tony Romo of cornhole, both in his abilities with the telestrator and his ability to predict where cornhole bags are going to land on the board with eerie specificity. What's so, something you learned from him real quick? Well, I learned everything from him. <laughs> <laughs> not, I learned not what, a big cornhole player. <laughs> I was not, I did I, I I probably could have told you what a four bagger meant, you know, but but a flop shot and stuff like that, the kind of airmail subtleties like that. Yes, I definitely learned from Trey. Are you a better a better cornhole player today than you were? Before? Well, smart smarter one anyway. I don't know if well, you gotta play smart when you're playing cornhole. Brian. I'm going to be cornhole film guy. That's all 22 cornhole <laughs> guy. <laughs> all 22 cornhole <laughs> guy. Brian, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, see, you, see you guys next time. Birds and snakes and airplane. Lenny Bruce is not a